Hey, good morning, church family. Um, did you know that the last time 4th of July fell on a Sunday was actually 2007? Anyways, uh, my name is Pastor Ben, one of the pastors here at CLC. And for those who are joining us for the first time, we really, really welcome you to our church family service. Now, this morning, um, we have another treat as we slowly wind down in our current sermon series, A, a Whole New World as we have taken you through the book of Ephesians. And today, we have two special guests. Actually, technically, they're not guests because they are very own Scott Lin, our youth director intern, and our own Yan Chin, as they will be sharing God's word in relating to employer and employee. So enough of this chit-chat. So let's dive into today's message. And here is our first speaker, Take it away, Scott. Good morning, CLC. Calling in from beautiful Estes Park, Colorado, where the glory of God is fully on display behind me in my real-life virtual background. I've had the pleasure of being here with my family on a short vacation, and now I have the pleasure of preaching for you all this morning. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and the latter half of Ephesians explores what it looks like to live out what Paul taught us in the first half of the book. We are God's workmanship, one together in Christ, adopted as his sons and daughters. But what does it look like to live that out? Paul shows us by looking at three common relationships, husbands and wives, children and parents, and this week, bond servants and masters. I'll be speaking from the employee perspective, and then Yan will join us from the manager side of things. So I'll pray for us and then read the passage we can dive right in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the wonders of your word, the wonders of this world that you've created. I thank you that you've given us your word, that we can read it and study it and have it transform us from the inside out, Lord. I pray that you'd open our minds and hearts to show us what you have for us today, that you'd be working and molding us to become more and more like your son. Help us to be signs of your workmanship out in the workplace, um, that people would see us and through us see your son and want to come to know you and to know him and to leave behind the trappings that this world has for us, Lord. Thank you again for the time that we have. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now you may be thinking, why are we looking at the relationship between a master and their slave? The short version is that under Roman rule, the population was around 60% slaves. Uh, there were not corporations and jobs like we have today. So when Paul is writing to slaves and masters, he is writing to the most common work relationship that people of that day would have and age would have had. Even though Paul is writing to a context that we don't share or really support today, uh, let's see what we can glean from God's word here and contextualize these concepts to our modern day work culture. So the most easily applicable point is found in verse 6 says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
And it's pretty self-explanatory. We shouldn't be performing to get noticed. Or put another way, watch out for your worldly ambition and how it drives you to work. I read this story a while back by a Google engineer sharing about career development and his work projects. For one quarter, he spent a large chunk of his time helping his teammates or fixing bugs. He had his own projects to work on, which he got done even if it wasn't anything spectacular, but thought that helping others around him was just as important. However, during his performance review, the review board gave him this feedback. While you're a great engineer, without any stellar projects for us to show, we can't advocate for you to advance here. Try to work on an impressive project this quarter, and we'll see what we can do. And so that's exactly what he did. He stopped spending much, if any, time helping his teammates or fixing bugs, but instead, of, instead focused on a few stupendous projects. And naturally, at his performance review, he got fantastic feedback, and that he was on the right track to advance his career. Now, I'm not saying that career advancement is a bad thing, nor do I share this story to say the Google engineer made the wrong decision. I share this story to illustrate that our work culture values the showmanship and notoriety of work. There's going to be pressure to focus on the, the showy projects for your own good. And that's the trap. It's hiding in our cultural expectations for work, to work specifically to get noticed and advance. But our reward, it's in heaven. It's not here. So our work culture, especially Bay Area work culture, will also press you to make work the Lord of your life. There will be pressure to die to yourself, not for Christ, but for work and your career. The Bay Area is full of highly ambitious and successful people, and they will work and work and work themselves to the bone and expect others to do the same. Now, work is a good thing and a blessing, but we're not to let it displace equally or more important things like family, relationship with God, rest, or service. Another story I read was of a man, let's call him Luke, who was quite disciplined in his relationship with work. One week, when his whole team was pressing to complete a project, Luke's boss asked him to come in that Saturday with the rest of the team. But Luke knew where he had drawn the line. I'm sorry, sir, he said. Saturday is a day that I've set aside for my family. I promised my wife that no matter how busy I am during the week, I will always save Saturday for her and our children. Now, as you can imagine, his boss wasn't pleased. But he simply asked Luke to come in on Sunday instead. But, I'm sorry, sir, Luke said. Sunday is a day that I have set aside for, for God, out of respect. I do not work on Sundays, but set it aside to rest and honor him. Initially, his boss was furious, and Luke knew that there may be consequences, but he also knew what his relationship with work was to honor and glorify God. Ultimately, he did not lose his job or face any discipline. In fact, Luke's witness struck a chord, and it led to further conversations about faith in God with his co-workers. Now, I'm not saying that what Luke did is the only right way to have a healthy relationship with work, but each of us should discern where our boundaries are with work to glorify God in what we do. And expect pushback. Be prepared for others to try to push you off of your boundaries, and the temptation will be to people please and to cross those boundaries. I know it is for me, but we are called to work for God, nothing more, nothing less. Now, there are two other points I want to highlight from this passage, but neither has like a clean application. Instead, you can think of this as your homework. Wrestle with and discern for yourselves how God is calling you to embody these principles. In verse 5, Paul writes, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. The first point in this concept of earthly masters, 
this is a complex concept to take to our day because in any job, you have at least two masters. You have your direct manager and the company that you work for. And sometimes these two masters will be at odds. Let's think about that same Google engineer I was talking about earlier. Arguably, the time he spent helping his coworkers and fixing bugs, it's extremely important for Google as a company. However, it may not serve his boss's interests, who wants to have a high-performing wants to have high-performing individuals on his team that deliver spectacular projects. Even if your boss is ambitious, especially if your boss is ambitious, this is something that you're going to have to work out on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. So how do you serve two masters well? I don't know. That's what we have to reflect on. Now, the second point is that we're called to obey these earthly masters with fear and trembling. What stuck out to me is the same language is used in the Bible when we're called to submit to God. Fear and trembling. It's very strong. This could be interpreted to be quite passive, making yourself a doormat, but I don't think that's faithful to the meaning. We are to have boundaries and morals to uphold, yet how does the fear and trembling come in? I'm not sure. For myself, I can be quite, quite strong-willed. <laughs> fear and trembling, especially in the workplace, is a tall order that I have to bring to God to lead me in. Now, as an employee, I want to end with a few things that managers can do to support their workers. So first, champion them. Don't let them get steamrolled by others. Defend them in their failures and praise them to others in their successes. Counsel them. You've got experience that your employees can learn from. Help them to grow and journey into the career that God has prepared for them. Comfort them. The waves of work and life can roll up into an overwhelming ball of stress. Provide them with support and help to ease their burden when they need it. Cheer them on. Genuine encouragement can go a long way. Remember, your employees, reminding your employees of their strengths or pointing out a specific well-done piece of work can be the highlight of their day and make their job something that they look forward to. So to recap, these are your three pieces of homework. You can tell I'm a youth leader because I hand out homework. So first, reflect and discern what a healthy relationship with work looks like for you in this season. Second, reflect and reconcile the different asks you'll have to obey the company you work for, and your direct manager. Balance those two things. Third, wrestle with what it looks like to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. These aren't one-time to-dos, but ought to be revisited as you continue to live as God's workmanship in the workplace. And with that, I'll pass it off to Yen. Thanks so much, Scott. That was terrific. Uh, Good morning, CLC, and happy Independence Day to everyone. Even from Colorado, Scott has very eloquently and concretely dissected the passage in Ephesians 6 and talked both about how workers should think about the role of work in their lives and about how bosses might best support and encourage their employees. That gives me some leeway to zoom out and fill in some of the background that informs Scott's points and talk about some of the meta M-E-T-A, points in this passage. That is, things that are not as concrete, but that we should probably understand in order to see work and work relationships from God's point of view. And I'd like to make three points. Your work matters to God. Your secular work matters to God. And by association, so does your behavior there. Second point is, bosses, be nice. It matters, and Ephesians tells us exactly why. And third, non-Christians may already be better than us at all this. 
So we'd better get cracking. Let's begin at the beginning. Your secular work matters to God, and so does your behavior in the secular workplace. Do you really believe that? Or perhaps do you just live for the weekend? By the way, and as an aside for all the students out there, your studies are your work. Now, some of us might feel that work is a result of sin and the fall, but that's not actually true. Toil and hardship are the result of sin, but not work itself. Consider this, and I take these points from the book, Your Work Matters to God by Sherman and Hendricks. Consider this, God himself is a worker. From Genesis 1 and the creation of the world and all the life in it, to Genesis 2, where God calls his creative activity work, to John 4, where he accomplished the monumental work of atonement via the cross, to Colossians 1, where Paul says, in him all things hold together. We see that God is himself a worker, and he continues to work, even today, providing for and holding together his creation. And since whatever God does is inherently good, if God does work, then work itself has intrinsic value. God then created people, men and women, in his image as workers. In fact, from the beginning, he gave us the charge to rule and subdue every living thing upon the earth in Genesis 1. So we see that we are both co-workers with God and bosses or masters, as the word used in Ephesians, charged with ruling and taking care of living things, and in some capacity, each other. That means that we don't have a secular work life and a spiritual church life. We have one life. And if you're a Christian, God is the foundation of it all. That means the values we, that we espouse and the way we do things for God at church should be the same as the way we do things and act at work. So to recap, if work matters to God, then the way we do the work and behave at work must matter to God as well. In fact, we're not just responsible for the quality of our work, but also for the quality of our character and how we behave towards others while we're doing it. Fortunately for us, Scott has already told us how God wants us to do that. Be careful of your worldly ambitions and how it drives you at work. Don't perform just to get notice and to advance. Take care not to let work, which is intrinsically good, wantonly displace other intrinsically good things that, like God, family, service, or rest. Figure out what it means to serve our masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And... Since God is impartial, this applies to both workers and bosses. Now on to the second point. Bosses, be nice. To paraphrase what it says in the Ephesians 6 passage, masters do the same to them, the workers. Respect them, be sincere, be nice even when they're not looking, and boss others as if you were serving the Lord. That means, bosses, that you should exercise your power over workers with fear and trembling, just as Scott said for the workers. Why? 
Three reasons are given in this passage. One, because God is both their master and yours. In verse nine, it says, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven. Every master has a bigger master and God is the biggest master of all. Secondly, because your reward from the Lord depends on Verse eight says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. This tells us that we will be rewarded for doing good things. There's something about the economy of heaven that commends and and rewards us in this life or the next for the good that we do in the here and now. This is said in several places in scripture, so we should probably pay attention to it. And then thirdly, there is no partiality with God, and godly actions are required of you regardless of your earthly status. Again, back to verse 9, he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. God ultimately doesn't care whether you are the bosser or the bossy. He's impartial. He's only interested in the quality of your actions. Well, bosses and supervisors, what does this mean in terms of tangible and actionable things? Well, it's not easy, and it requires that you wield, you not wield your power as a weapon, and that you consider the interests of your employees at least as high as you consider your own ambitions. For instance, we should provide people fair financial rewards for their labor. We should provide opportunities for those we supervise to exercise their gifts and talents. We should trust them and give them autonomy and agency. And if they're not as performing as you would like, consider whether they believe you value their opinion and their work product. Consider whether they believe in and understand the importance of their role in your organization. Consider whether they feel they have your trust and the agency and autonomy to come through. I had a manager who helped lead our HR department go out on maternity leave. And before she left, she hired someone else to stand in for her at her position, intending that that person would transition to another job in the HR department when she came back. Well, this person did an amazing job during the stressful six month period while this manager was out. So much so that I wondered whether this sub might actually be the better person to lead the department when the manager came back. When the manager did come back from maternity leave, I sat her down and I told her that she would definitely lead the department this year, the job she left and came back to, but that the sub that she herself hired did an amazing job while she was out. And I really wasn't sure who was best suited to lead the department next year and in the long term. I asked her, I actually asked both of them, to show me over the next three months who they thought would be the best to lead the department next year. Well, the manager hit it out of the park and it was clear after a couple of months that she was definitely the best leader going forward. And I gave the sub a raise, but kept her at the same level. I could have gone about this in different ways. I could have ignored how good the sub was and just told her that, um, that, that the manager, that she got her old job back and she's gonna have it going forward. But what would her sub have thought as she had done so well and gotten no reward for that? And I would have gotten the manager back at her prior level of performance. I could have installed her sub in her position, but then the manager probably would have been really unhappy with me and left. 
and the department would have been diminished for it. And remember, in hindsight, the sub was actually not the best person for the job. Instead, I decided to be honest. And by the way, I was quite scared to do it. Uh, honest to both of them and give each person the agency to shape their own future. And in the end, when you behave with honesty and respect toward people and expect them to come through, they often do. On to our third and final point. Non-Christians may already be doing a better job than us in this, so we better get cracking. Have you ever thought that non-Christians may be living out their values better than we are? Is it possible that because we sometimes don't have the right view of work, we sometimes become prideful? Maybe we've entertained the thought, I'm holy and I'm about eternal things. Work is secular and temporal and is beneath me in some way. When we have that perspective, work can become just about getting money to get by in this world and only family and church hold true value. Instead, if you view work rightly as intrinsically valuable and an extension of God's work, you'll become more invested in it and your values will naturally come through. I'll give you a couple of examples from my very secular office. Now remember, we're just a bunch of doctors and staff spread out over a few different offices, and we spend our days caring for sick people. Think back to other doctor's offices that you've been in or your own workplace, and consider if you think they are doing these things. We have a shout out channel on Slack, a popular office communication and chat platform, which is regularly filled with people spontaneously shouting out and giving praise to others for the great work that they see them doing. Last summer on Slack, we also started a new These Truths channel to share links for books, videos, and ideas around elevating equality and highlighting where we might all do better. Another example, our company also donates some of our profits and volunteers our time as an organization to different charities that are sourced by our social equity and inclusion committee. Yes, we have a social equity inclusion committee that started even when we were only a company of 70 people. The committee was almost 20% of the entire company when it started. And finally, we celebrate Juneteenth as a business by giving half of our employees the morning off while the other half covers for them and the other half the afternoon off while the morning crew covers for them. We collectively use that time to educate ourselves more about slavery, the emancipation, as well as the role slavery played in our country's history. Yes, that's right. We pay people not just to make the company money, but also to learn about how we can be better allies in social justice. These examples give you a flavor about what values my company has and how it is living it out. You may agree or you may disagree with those values, but they are neither muddled nor hidden and they are openly and vigorously exercised. Can the American church say that? Can we as individual Christians say that? If we can't, how might we do better in our own workplace? So where do we go from here? My business partner has an epigram at the end of his email signature. 
thoughts written by a Roman doctor from around the time of Christ. It reads, live in rooms full of light, avoid heavy food, be moderate in drinking of wine, take massage, baths, exercise, and gymnastics, fight insomnia with gentle rocking or the sound of running water, change surroundings and take long journeys, strictly avoid frightening ideas, indulge in cheerful conversation and amusements, listen to music. This is obviously his prescription for living a happy life. None of it is earth shattering or novel. We're familiar with all the ideas already, but it's good to be reminded to do it. Well, we've heard teachings from the book of Ephesians for the last couple of months now. The book began by Paul saying how God revealed that Gentiles are now along with Jews, heirs together in the blessings of Christ. And therefore we ought to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. Grow mature in your faith, put off the old self and the old attitudes, talk cleanly, rid yourselves of bitterness, be kind, live in light and be wise. And it ends with teachings about how we should all live and relate to one another, husbands to wives, children to parents, and slaves to masters, all by submitting to one another. This is Paul's prescription for how to live a life that fully honors God. None of it is earth-shaking or novel. We're familiar with all the ideas already, but it's good to be reminded to do it. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, thank you for blessing us with work and for being a God who is himself a worker and a boss. On this Independence Day, we're thankful that we live in a country where we can reap the rewards of our work. We thank you that our work is an extension of your work and that you show us how to both work hard and be a kind and gracious boss. Please continue to shape and mold us into being a better reflection of you in our workplace. Change our hearts and our actions um, so that it better reflects who you are and your love for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.